Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. today with racing star, philanthropist, and mom of four, Renee Brinkerhoff. Renee, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Lauren. I, I mean, I came across your story and I was just, my mouth dropped. You have a vintage Porsche 356A that you've raced in six continents. And you said, wait, wait, I'm not done. You outfitted it to look like, I guess, a snowmobile. And then you just finished racing it through continent number seven, the blue ice of Antarctica, over like 350 miles. What? <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> well, that's what we did. You've got it right. How do you even think of this? Well, um, it was something that we decided to do with the car because of a, a whole slew of things that had happened in my mid-50s. And realized that, our, you know, the success in racing as an older woman, um, older as a woman in a male-dominated sport and winning, um, we had a voice and wanted to use our car to grow our voice as literally as the vehicle. And we decided to race the car in every continent. And we just finished doing that. So you went, you went there straight, straight away. You, you went straight to age. You decided to do this because you were on the older side? No, no, no. I, I started racing a car in my mid fifties and it was not a want to, it was a have to, it was something I'd realized I'd been telling myself for decades and thought, great, now you got to go do that. I only plan on doing it one time. We ended up creating history in this very significant race in the world, um, started in 1950, didn't realize I was getting involved in the most dangerous road rally race in the world. They have 30% attrition. Someone died the first morning Whoa. that I was racing. So, I mean, that's how it all started. It totally changed my life. Instead of it doing it one time and being done with it, um, it because of this whole life metamorphosis, I said, we have to, I have to go back. And this... Now I, I'm here nearly 10 years later, and we you know, have since left from racing in Mexico and this notorious race to racing the car on every continent. And um, again, use this car as a vehicle to raise awareness and money for child trafficking. So this, it's what, how it started and where we are. It was this whole unknown journey that you know, when I made that turn and when I did that um, first race, I had no idea I'd be where I am today. You got sucked in, though, by the danger, the thrill. What, what was it that just sucked you in unexpectedly? Unexpectedly, it really was a complete life metamorphosis. Who I was prior to starting a family, getting married, sort of went dormant through my for so many years, let's say 30 years. And through this race and having to you know, face immense fears, my body physically uncontrollably shaking, um, 
finding out my strengths that I didn't know I had, finding, you know, addressing weaknesses, having to confront all these massive things in this 2,000 miles of seven days of racing, uh, just did this whole thing in my life where I sort of reconnected to who I had been and put me on this journey. And um, so that's where I am today. So, so are you saying that you, you might have been like this when you were younger, but then, you know, you had your kids, you were the responsible mom, and then they got a little bit older and you found your old self again? Or is it a little bit different than that? I think it was just, I think it's not, it is sort of how you said it. It was, I put me, I say this with, it was my choice. I put who I was and all my yearnings and desires as a young woman into, uh, in a box in a way, on a shelf and focused on being wife and mother and ended up homeschooling our children. And so my job, I was a pre-med student in college, but then I got married and had a family and decided I had to make a choice. And I chose for my career to be mom. And for me, mom wasn't was in addition to feeding and nurturing your children, but was also nurturing their soul, their mind, their spirit, and all these other things. And that's how, even though I said I would never homeschool, that was weird. I ended up doing that with all of our kids and went on this massive journey of that. And then in the process, took that so seriously that I never allowed myself to pursue any of my own passions or self-interests. And this race connected me back to that person that I totally lost touch with, I guess you could say. I knew it was there, but it was pushed away. It was pushed into a corner. It was not allowed to present itself. What, um, do, your kid, what do your kids say about, about mom being a race star? Well, you know, one thing my daughter who works with me said that through that race, because she was actually at my first race, she came to photograph for the team, um, was she saw it made sense. And she saw who I was and she didn't know that person, but it made total sense and sort of informed her about who, about her mom. And I think all of our children would say that, um, it, it massively brought out all these things that were maybe just, they saw little glimpses of during all those years, but had no understanding of. And it was like, Oh, that's who, that's who my mom is. (laughs) And your husband's reaction. My husband, well, just like everybody, when I first mentioned I'm going to go race and it was something I had to do, they didn't understand what I meant by that. They thought I meant cars and coffee or not what I ended up doing, not at all what I ended up doing. But from the very get-go, he's been 100% supportive and encouraging me, even though it's super dangerous and he'll say, are you sure you want to do this? Um, Maybe it's time to stop. And my sons, I have two boys and two girls, and my sons and my husband will sort of say that, and my daughters are, go, mom, go. Um, <laughs> so the men in the family are more hesitant. Obviously, they're more protectors of their mom and their wife and are, cons- are more focused on the danger of it. But once they understand the passion is still there and it's something that is how vital that is for me and what we're now doing for kids that are being trafficked, they're 100% hundred percent supportive. I, I want to talk about the philanthropy in a second, but just one more, um, I, I guess, piece of advice for other moms and wives who might have silenced their passions to devote themselves to, you know, the, their, their families and maybe their formal careers instead of their passions. What would you say to them? Well, if I just go with my experience, when I first realized I'd been telling myself one day I'm going to race a car. And, and again, that could have been anything. 
I said that for whatever reason, I don't have a background in car racing. I didn't grow up around cars and I didn't even know it was a male sport, you know, male dominated sport. So it really was just something I gave myself to look to the future. But if there's something I would just say, don't ever, and you know, there were naysayers, there were my own doubts, my own fears that I had to massively overcome to step out and do that thing. It was a huge, huge step out. Um, Don't ever not do it. Don't ever let, I found that fear is something you can use. Fear is something you can harness to, to do great things that you didn't know you could do. And don't be immobilized or paralyzed by it. Or even people that say, I call them the naysayers, shut all that out and go do what that thing is that's calling you inside. And don't look at how old you are, your gender, or any of those things that people might say are hindrances. Don't listen to it because none of that matters. And you will find strengths in yourself. You'll overcome things. You'll learn things that you never, ever, ever would learn without pushing through and going to do those things. So if there's anything there dormant or in the back of your head or anything, don't ignore it. Pay attention to it and address it and do something about it. And I think you will be marvelously surprised at what comes forth. I, For me, I look say it's like I was a chrysalis and out came a butterfly. I had no idea what, you know, I'm, I'm, a, it's, it was amazing. So, um, I get, that's what I would say. And I want to talk about that fear factor when we're momming today continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We're back on We're Momming today with Renee Brinkerhoff, uh, talking about how she found racing in dangerous conditions, setting records in her 50s. And continues to do so in her 60s, at the age of 65, in fact. Um, Renee, give me the story. How did you find your car? Why did you pick your Porsche 356A? And, you know, what was the scariest moment that you had on one of your journeys? Wow. Um, because it wasn't something that I saw doing more than just once, it was ticking the box. I have to do this. I have to do this. You know, just getting through it, Right. Because I had finally had free time in my life that I was able to pursue some hobbies and have, you know, hey, I can go for a three hour bike ride if I want. I can go do this. I can. So I was very happy. So it was, um, I need to get a car. My husband's cousin had just bought this car. I'd never, ever seen this model car before. And when I saw it, I knew I, I wanted to do classic racing for somehow I had a, I knew that. And it was a classic car. And I said, okay, that's the car I want to get. You know, I, it, it just, it reminded me when I got in it, it sounded and felt like the first car that I ran around with when I was a teenager, I had a souped up VW bug. And really that's what that car is. It's, a, it's like a souped up VW bug. It's just got bigger curves and looks more like a sports car. Right. So the, the car decision was basically very impulsive or instantaneous, like saw that. Okay, done. Finding the racing. I heard about a race in Mexico. That sounds awesome. Driving around a track sounds boring. It's not, I've, I've come to find out, but it sounds it. If you think about going round and round on the same 
surface in the same track over and over and over again. And so rally racing sounded interesting. Being in Mexico sounded amazing because I'd grown up traveling and I'd spent 25, 30 years not traveling. So, you know, it was all these things just sort of were, it sort of fell in place. And then this, if it, my most scariest moment was really when I got behind the wheel for the first time. Um, I was at the start. They're counting you down. You're he- I was headed up into the mountains uh, the day before. Um, my first time racing, I shared um, a, a ride in a, someone who had a car. After I got mine, I thought, Renee, you're nuts. You know, you may not be able to do this. You may It just may be some harebrained thing that you don't have to go do. Uh, go find out about the race. So I said, I'll go clean windshields. I'll make sandwiches. I want to be on someone's team to find out about this race. Well, lo and behold, somebody needed a, a, someone to, to get in the car with them. Their partner had dropped out. It was exactly the same car that I had just purchased. I don't believe in coincidences. So wow. I went and shared driving and navigating with this person. So he drove the first day. That's the day somebody died. Uh, the second day I'm in the car driving and my, I, you know, got in that car and it got at the start. And as soon as we're at the start and we're pulling up and the cars are taking off and it's now it's my turn, my body wouldn't stop shaking. (laughs) The whole thing was convulsing and I couldn't get my mind to make it stop. And I'm sitting here in my head saying, what in the world are you doing? I'm asking God what in the world I'm doing there. And I had to go because there's no getting out of line and turning around. You know, I had to go do it. So I think I think uh, that probably was the biggest fear thing that I had. Those those days of racing and that first race, uh, every time I got behind the wheel, shaking and having to overcome that that um, that physical shaking. How do you prepare for each race? How do you prepare? Uh, a big part of it is mental. Um, when you know you're going to uh, like this, this race I did, it's called the La Carrera Panamericana. Um, Something that I've always done is I think about it way in advance and I make a decision in advance. Yes, I'm going to go do this race. Yes, I'm putting my life at risk. You know, it's life or limb, right? But I make the decision I'm going to do it. And once I've made that decision, I don't reopen that discussion. That's a that's a done deal. That decision is made. And then I just move forward. And so I think that is a very, very key component is you don't let your mind entertain things and thoughts and doubts. You just keep your focus and push forward. Yeah, it's mental. It's mental preparation. So how did the, how did, how did you get to Antarctica? Well, I mean, the Union Glacier, I, <laughs> it well, sounds um, slippery and also full of snow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, the car ship took two months, uh, got, there oh, wow. three, took, got there three weeks before us, um, <laughs> We arrived down there, and uh, I had envisioned it being at least in a tent or something, and it was sitting outside, which was, okay, great. I know it's literally stone cold. Uh, We need to get the car warm and get it started and now see how it's going to perform. We weren't able to test the car in advance, and this obviously was a whole new setup for the car with skis in the front and tracks in the back. Who thought of that? I mean, how, how does one even think of this concept? Well, I actually hooked up with two people that have the world record of driving in the shortest amount of time to the South Pole and um, figured you need to get, you know, you always need to get the experts. And so when you go on and you Google, you know, world record, South Pole in a car, you know, Jason DeCarteret, his name comes up and Kieran Bradley, who was the engineer and the person that he did it with. And so I've been in conversations with them since 
I think 2017. And we weren't able to go last year, but they had the experience of preparing a vehicle and understanding what the surface is like, what the challenges are. At first I was adamant, I wanted tires, you know, everything we've done is on tires and the car, you know, is meant to be driven on tires. But if it had tires, they'd have to be 42 inch tires because you can't, you have to distribute your weight or you sink and you want to glide on top of the surface. So um, 42 inch tires meant we would have had to cut into the doors. There would have been basically no car left. So that wasn't engineering in an engineering sense feasible. So the only other thing to do was, was to put uh, skis and tracks on it, you know, ski b- tracks, both front and back or skis and tracks. And again, uh, Kieran, who was the engineer, he ran all the formulas and realized, no, it had to be skis, it had to be tracks. And so he did the design of the car. And you want to glide across the surface. Uh, we had a support vehicle and it had tires. And again, it had these massive tires, but it was constantly getting stuck and it was digging in and uh, because it was sinking. Your weight, you'll sink, just like if you're walking in shoes on really deep snow, you want to have big snowshoes or you want to have big skis, long, long skis, right, to distribute your weight. And that's what we had to do with the car. A man would never have thought of that analogy with the with the heels in snow. <laughs> are, you, are you a mechanic at this point? No, I can do simple things with my car. But uh, I can't, you know, sit out, you know, sit on the side of the road and flip out a carburetor and put a new one in or anything like that. But simple mechanics. I understand the car. I understand when I feel things or hear things, what's going on with the car, because I have to be able to communicate that mm-hmm. to the uh, mechanic. And, um, you know, I can fiddle with simple things, change tires, et cetera, uh, look at jetting, put oil in the car, you know, all those kind of, you know, fan belt things, but no, I am not a mechanic. And tell me about your foundation and how much you've raised so far to combat child trafficking. So our foundation is Valkyrie Gives. And we started this when we decided to race the car in every continent. And uh, we literally use the car as a vehicle to raise awareness and money to combat child trafficking. We do that in three ways, education, we're involved in uh, rescue, and in rehabilitation. And I personally am involved doing uh, undercover investigative work to find and arrest traffickers. So I try to get involved in a very hands-on way and not just read statistics, but see it for myself. Uh, We've raised over half a million dollars, and we have no overhead. So every dollar that goes in goes out, and we vet organizations that are grassroots on the front line. Most money spent... um, in this area of child trafficking is spent on research. And we totally believe that you need to have research, but that more money should be spent on actually touching the children and having that kind of um, impact. And um, so we make sure that all the funds, where it goes, who we're giving the money to, we do site visits, et cetera. What's, what's next? I mean, have you, is there anything left on your bucket list? Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, this is more of a, you know, it started out as a have to, and it's still like a have to, want to. It's, you know, I, I feel compelled. You know, I didn't want to do something about child trafficking when I when we were looking for something that would be a cause where we could affect change globally. I had two things that happened to me that made it very evident that this was finding me and it was what we needed to be doing. Uh, I met someone who was undercover in the FBI 
who was working in this area. And I also then sat next to a man on a rental bus and saw a pornographic image of a child on his phone. And that was right when we were just trying to, and I thought, okay, knock, knocking on my heart. I, you know, yes, it's got my heart, but now you need to do something about it. So I really feel compelled and, and driven to do something about these children. And, um, I love to race, um, my car, but it's more about now the mission of what can we do with the car to do something for these children. And that I don't see ever going away until I take my last breath. So, um, there are definitely things I would enjoy doing personally on a bucket list thing. But as far as with this car and with Valkyrie racing and Valkyrie gives, it's really something I feel compelled and that we have to do. That man you saw on the bus who was looking at that inappropriate pornographic picture. Uh, I'm assuming you didn't say anything to him or did you? I, I did not. I, he, I sat, I was in shock and it wasn't until we were actually going to pick up a rental car. As soon as I sat down, and I looked over at his phone. He quickly flipped it. Huh. And I got this very weird sort of sense. You know, you can feel things. And you I have this, this kind of, this, I guess you could say, um, malevolence. Not, what's that word? Like something yeah. dark. I just yeah. like something dark. And I was shocked. And I, I have a tendency when things happen to process them afterwards and think, that's what that was. That's what that was going. I'm not like something happens. I don't quick yell and, you know, I sort of process things differently. And, and, uh, so no, I didn't say anything. And of course, as soon as we got off the bus, he went his way and I went mine. And it wasn't, it's like, what in the world was that? Did I just see what I thought I saw? What is going on? And, and he then lit was, something in you. Absolutely. Look at yeah. that. All these races, all these continents, all this money later. Um, Renee, thank you for being such a great example to other moms out there, to your children, to your community, to the industry. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, how how old? I, I don't even want to ask this question because I think age is just a number. But I mean, how old do you think you can be still racing? Wow. I know a man who I greatly admire who's in his late 70s. And he is still at the top of the pack at, in, in the La Carrera and giving those young bucks a run for their money. Nice. Um, I don't think age matters. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Completely. Um, Renee, so good to meet you. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me as your guest. I, what an honor. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.